Welcome to Cover to Cover, a podcast featuring musical conversations about an album or song which has changed and enhanced someone's life. I am your host, songwriter Matt Tarka. Thanks for joining us. We humans connect with the presence of music in our own unique way. As an artist, a concert goer, through our headphones, or as something that simply lives in our everyday background. Our guest today is a native of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He is one Mitch Easter, legendary frontman of the acclaimed Let's Active and record producer at the Drive-In and Fidelitorium Recordings. For our listeners who might be unfamiliar with Mitch's musical career to date, Easter formed Let's Active in 1981 and that same year produced R.E.M.'s debut single, Radio Free Europe, which was issued on Johnny Hibbert's label, Hibtone Records in Atlanta. Incidentally, Radio Free Europe is celebrating its 40th anniversary in 2021, and a reissue of an exact replica of Hibbert's 7-inch mix is now available as of July 23rd, shortly before the time of this interview. Please note, for those looking to procure their copy of Mitch's original mix, that is available on the Super Deluxe Cassette Edition. Easter went on to produce for R.E.M. their Chronic Town EP in 1982, their first full-length Murmur in 1983, and shortly afterwards, Reckoning. Murmur's success also drew more attention to Easter, as did the release of Let's Active's debut EP, Afoot, which launched the cult hit, Every Word Means No. Mitch has produced the likes of Pavement, Wilco, Suzanne Vega, Dinosaur Jr., The Baseball Project, Chris Stamey, The DBs, Alejandro Escovedo, A Fragile Tomorrow, the list goes on and on. He is also part of an ensemble that over the past few years has paid homage to Big Star's third record, and I would be remiss if I did not mention that he was also inducted into the North Carolina Music Hall of Fame in 2019. Our conversation today will center on British singer-songwriter Stephen Duffy and his second solo offering from 1995 titled Duffy, where Mitch both produced and contributed electric guitar. Some may know Stephen Duffy as the founding member, vocalist, and bassist of Duran Duran, and later the frontman for the folk rock outfit, The Lilac Time. So without further ado, let's welcome Mitch to the program. Mitch, welcome to the program. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to have you today. It's great to speak to you, Matt. Thank you. So I'm a little bit of a latecomer on this solo record from Stephen, uh, more than 25 years on here. But when I first heard this collection of songs, I'm still completely just knocked out. I discovered this record um, sometime last year, uh, probably maybe April or May last year, thanks to a friend, musician, and producer, uh, Salim Nirala, down at Palo Santo Records in Dallas. Um, it took me a very careful search on Discogs to find a pressing in relatively good condition. I was able to procure a copy from a little independent record store in Portugal, of all places. So uh, this seems to be a very just kind of extremely limited quantity of, uh, of records out there to find. Um, I can't wait to talk to you about this solo record from Stephen Duffy. Um, first, I want to ask you this question. How and when did you first link up with Stephen um, were you familiar with this project post Duran Duran called The Lie Like Time, or had you worked together before in, in some other way, whether it was a different record or project of his as a producer or accompanying musician? I didn't know about his, his um, you know, storied past, which was already, you know, pretty storied by the time I met him because he'd done a lot. Um, but I met him through Velvet Crush, who I had met 
not too much earlier, and I met them in England, but they're you know an American band, and they were doing a lot of stuff in England around that time. I think they were signed to Creation Records, and I heard them in a rehearsal studio that I was at with another band, and when and I remember thinking, this band sounds like Mop the Hoople to me. And when they came out, I saw them, and I said, are you the guys that sound like Mop the Hoople? And they were really, they thought that was great, you know. So that's how I met them, and they were already friends with Stephen, and I don't know how, but I think that... Um, they had been telling Stephen that you know, this was the mid '90s, mind you. You know, so um, people were growing their hair out and playing louder and louder again. You know, and yeah. I, I think they were telling Stephen that you need to you need to try this rock thing. You know, you've, you've been a folky too long. It's time to rock. And I think he was thinking, sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is a silly version of the story, but something like this was in the air with them. And so I think the idea was hatched for them to work together. From my little, I think. Probably about 100% because I'm off the Hoople com- uh, comment. I ended up working on a Bella Crush session, and it just sort of oozed into being a Stephen Duffy session, too. It's like while they were around here, Stephen came in and we cut the tracks for this record that you're talking about in my ancient space in my parents' garage. One of the last things done there, I guess. <laughs> this would be the and, drive in. Yeah. Yeah, right. That was driving. So I really met Stephen, you know, kind of at the session. I mean, I, I think he came in. Okay, this is correct. He came in to sing on some of the Velvet Crush record that we did right before this. So that's when I met him, I think. And he was great. You know, we had a good time together. And so I think everybody thought, let's keep this going. But now it'll be a Stephen Duffy record. So that's how I met him. We're talking with Mitch Easterhair, legendary record producer and uh, the lead frontman of Let's Act If You're on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka, all things Stephen Duffy and uh, a solo offering titled Duffy. Um Mitch, this is more of a side question than anything else. Um, did the Lilac Time, which is it's such a great reference to Nick Drake's tune, Riverman, and uh, Less Active, ever share a bill or two prior to working together, or uh, you as a solo artist ever um, share, you know, a spot on the marquee with Duffy? No, I I, I think I've, I may be wrong. I think the only time I ever saw him play live was after this was this record was done, and um, I went to Japan with Velvet Crush to play on the short tour and I believe he was opening for them at a lot of the dates so I saw him play and he was playing by himself then um, okay. so yeah I, I never saw a lot of these other things he did live can you uh, describe for our listeners a little bit about some of the players that contributed I mean this is a it's a real star-studded cast and uh, also just kind of a, a side question here uh, can you recall if Stephen had clear ideas of uh, who he wanted to bring in to record different parts or uh, in your role as uh, producer slash guitarist, were you involved in that part of the creative process before tracking even began? Um, I think that, you know, uh, it was done in the sort of rock and roll tradition of your, which is to say uh, not so much in that sort of um, very deliberate, you know, pre-production, you know, making all these notes, doing all these demos, all this kind of stuff. I don't think that happened. I think... Um, you know, the Velvet Crush people had heard the songs he had, Stephen, I'm, I'm sure, had made some demos of some sort. But, you know, there was, a, there was a real kind of heavy, expensive process that got going in the 80s with all this, and there was none of that, you know. It was more the kind of session that I usually do, where we kind of get together in the room and we start playing. Um, and I don't think that there were rehearsals with the Velvet Crush people and him ahead of time. I may be wrong, but I don't think there were. So sort of on the spot, but, you know, we had enough time to do it right. 
And, um, you know, I think that, like, the Velvet Crush people who were – basically it was Paul Chastain and Rick Mink, I think. Uh, I think they're the only Velvet Crush people that played on this. But that's bass and drums, you know. And mm-hmm. um, and so I think, um, you know, the exact groove of it, how fast it's going to be, all that kind of stuff, they kind of worked up as we recorded. And um, so the first session was just to get that stuff down. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, when Stephen came back, we were going to um, – finish the overdubs and, you know, really sort of flesh it out. But I think, you know, Stephen had a really good idea about these songs. They were fully written. I don't recall anybody trying to come up with a chorus or anything like that. Um, and, and you can hear the record now still has a sort of acoustic guitar underpinning, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even if there's not an acoustic guitar, you can imagine how there might have been one, you know. And I think most of the songs do have acoustic guitar, which is what he played. And when he came back to do the overdubs, or before he did, he was hoping to get Bernard butler to play guitar who of course was becoming famous with suede back then and that guy was great and i was really excited about that i was thinking oh, this is going to be cool if he comes over here i want to hear him because i'd really liked what i'd heard of him but that didn't work out and that's how it felt to me and so i was just kind of the fill-in guy you know <laughs> but um you know it was fun for me to get to play on this stuff i was you know i love these songs so it was so fun to play on them but it was you know it was kind of put together as it went along it wasn't totally planned out and then once he finished here with the Everdubs, he went back to England and did a little bit more like the strings and the horns. There's a little bit of, you know, that was done in England. And he sang his real vocals in England. And it was mixed there at Air um, Studios. But, um, you know, it, it's sort of like a classic 70s session. Like I remember being a kid and looking at the credits on uh, like T-Rex records and seeing how they'd been to all these different places. And I thought that was all very glamorous, you know. And so his, his, the Duffy record was a bit that way, too, although I don't know that my part of it was exactly glamorous, but it was done in a lot of locations, you know. Mm-hmm. Talk, uh, friends, we're talking with Mitch Easter here on Cover to Cover with Matt Stark about Stephen Duffy's uh, solo offering from 1995 on Indolent Records uh, titled Duffy. Um, I had to uh, reacclimate myself with the uh, the actual definition of indolent, and I found this kind <laughs> of <laughs> you know it's a it's a weird uh, dichotomy, I guess. the uh, The official definition is wanting to avoid activity or exertion, lazy. <laughs> it seems like the opposite, you know, happened here in the recording studio. There was a tremendous amount of effort, you know, that went into to getting these uh, these tracks cut into the album. Oh, oh, oh sure. But you know, Stephen is is definitely a, you know a wit. You know, he was we have fun because he's like a funny guy, but not like a comedian. He's like a person who has humor. You know, and he was funny, but you know, you can imagine he wouldn't be this like, you know, back slapping kind of guy telling jokes. You know, but we had a lot of jokes running on the session, so indolent would be one of those. And um, I should say that probably nobody knows why this record is called Duffy, but I'm going to tell you, <clears throat> and that is that, uh, or maybe you do know, but we had this big David Bowie fixation in the course of making this record. And so we were reading kind of obscure David Bowie biographies and stuff like that and referring to them as like running jokes and stuff. And you may recall that around the time of Diamond Dogs, um, mm-hmm. David Bowie credited himself as Bowie as on the record, not David Bowie. And so Duffy is a bit of a reference to that. But further, it's like you may also know that they, David Bowie made a record called Low. And then Nick Lowe made an EP called Bowie, and and he spelled it B-O-W-I because he said, well, he spelled my name wrong on his record because it's Nick Lowe with an E. So this sort of thinking was a huge part of why this record was called Duffy, um, and that's not really exactly funny, but it was like a running joke 
in our session to you know do that kind of thing. So I'm not sure about the indolent thing. If that was something like he was given a a label name, you know, under whoever actually put this out or what. I, that, that is funny that you mentioned that um, because I assume it was really, you know, a, a major company that actually distributed this record, but I don't remember now. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So I think I'd like to segue a little bit here um, to start, you know, beginning to talk about the tracks themselves on the record. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, what are your favorite tracks as a musician or, you know, as a producer or um, or are they both kind of one and the same? We can kind of go through your absolute favorites, or we can go sort of the you know the cover to cover aspect of our of the show here, if you'd like. Um, how would you like to start? Um, well, I don't know, but you know, I, I I did think listening to it again that um, I do sort of have favorites on this record, and I'm I, I should say right here that I'm terrible about this. People are always asking me my favorite this and that, and sometimes I just say. I can't enter that, you know. I, I'm I like a lot of things, you know, and I don't really have any <clears throat> skill at all at doing like top ten lists or anything like that because I just like too much and it changes and blah blah. But having said that, listening to it today, I think that my favorites are probably um, Needle Mythology and The Child Is Waiting. But that's not yeah. to say that all the other songs aren't great because they all are great. But those two, I, I particularly like. You know, they're real. You know, they've got cool chord changes. They've got kind of a slightly spooky vibe to them, and they're just beautiful, you know, and they were... But anyway, I mean, you can sort of understand the the sequence of the record, too, because London Girls and Sugar High are great songs to kick off the record, and I can always remember them. You know, they're catchy songs. Um, mm-hmm. But those, but getting down into it and hearing those two um, was, was great to hear again because I just love the way they sound and... And all, but I mean, I, th- I think it's a really good record, you know. I mean, he's just, yeah, he's just kind of great, you know. Yeah, let's kind of dig in a little bit here to needle mythology. Um, I mean, some of my personally, my favorite lyrics here, are, you know, why make your drug of choice and goodbye to your world or goodbye to the world, excuse me. And yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering, um, somebody, somebody close to the artist, um, you know, kind of, you know, calls, you know, a woman out named Daisy, but then kind of refers to the baby doll with Daisy hair. Um, yeah, I agree. Really interesting chord changes, really just thought-provoking lyrics. Um, I just wonder if there was something personal happening at that moment. I don't know, and I don't know yeah. if I did know. I don't remember. And um, I, I think if I heard something like that, I think I would actually feel compelled to not ask, you know. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 I, and, you know, because, gosh, you know, there's another song that has to do with the, those type topics that I recorded that later sort of, came through and i was like yikes you know (laughs) at the time we recorded the song i thought i really love the song and it's kind of creepy and i really love it and then the fact that it sort of became reality was i don't even know what to say about it i mean so i'll just leave it at that and i don't know (laughs) you know i don't know what he's referring to but he 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 i think really enjoyed observing and i think that you know this was sort of coming up along with that sort of Britpop era and you know i was talking about you know people growing their hair and playing loud again they also really started doing a lot of drugs again in the cities, I think. I remember he came back. I think we had a break in the overdub part of this around Christmas or something. And he came back and he just was semi-bemusedly talking to me about the massive cocaine use he saw everywhere he went. And he had seen that years earlier and now it's back. And I think he was thinking like, <laughs> why? <laughs> you know, Because yeah. it's sort of grim. You know, it's uh, that whole yeah. world is kind of grim. But at the same time, you know, we, we kind of love this little spark of like, you know, in, in, in songs sometimes and references and just 
social stuff, you know, um, especially when you're, you know, still sort of young, which he was, and you're still out and about and all that. You kind of still want to see what people are doing. But you're also starting to be a little bit alarmed by it. I mean, I think he's not a self-destructive guy at all, but you're always surrounded by people who are. And it does make for good songs sometimes. <laughs> you Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, that's the thing about him. He really did have, well, does have the whole thing going on with really, really good words that are like amusing and intriguing, you know, and, and memorable. Um, I wish I could write songs like that. I'm still trying to figure out what the asterisk string like silken wings means. <laughs> right. Sometimes yeah. something just sounds really good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about a child is waiting here. It's kind of dabbling into psychedelia a little bit, kind of mm-hmm. giving, giving away some, uh, something more uh, kind of tender, nostalgic. Um, it's a beautiful song. Very kind of like, I don't know, sort of revolver-esque. Yeah, and it's sort of like when the beat gets going, it's a little bit like Dear Prudence, too, all this sort of softer. But that sort of just feel is just something I'll just always really love. And, um, you know, again, I don't even remember now what I thought A Child Is Waiting is about, but I just like the sound of it a lot. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, he, he just hits that perfect note for me of familiar pop kind of melodies and stuff and then surprises, you know, sonic mm-hmm. surprises and the, the chord it goes to or the note he sings or... And that song, I love the sort of suppressed, kind of covered over feel of it. You know, it's it's just real, totally. real inside. You know, it's in no yeah. hurry. Along with needle mythology and the child is waiting, uh, you mentioned uh, Sugar High, uh, kind of a dreamy song too. You know, it's really sort of an early big star vibe to it. You know, maybe a little Beatles influence too. Um, Really cool music video that I kind of you know found going down a rabbit hole on YouTube. Um, what what do you recall about uh, recording Sugar High? I think we all thought Sugar High was the hit, you know. Yeah. And it's sort of interesting. It's the second song on the record, but I I'm not sure about this, but it could be because <clears throat> London Girls I think really was kind of about the you know Britpop time, you know. And I imagine a lot of people told him that that's what's happening now. That's that's what we're going to talk about first, you know. But yeah. Sugar High is just a really great pop song. And I mean, I you know, everybody around me says pop song more than I do because the the term is so kind of misunderstood and misused, but sometimes it's what something really is. And to me, it's just like a hit, you know. It's like, um, and I don't, and, and to me, it's like a good one, you know. It's like I was talking to a friend of mine earlier today about the sort of crassness of a lot of really successful songwriting, especially in, dare I say, like country music, you know? Mm-hmm. You just think, these guys just know this is good. They can just know exactly how much money is going to enter their bank account the next week if they just say this, you know? And I just kind of hate that, you know? <laughs> Whereas Sugar High to me is like a true pop hit where he just made up something that was catchy as hell and it's like, well, that just popped out and it's catchy and it's great and, and it's fun, you know? And I don't doubt that if I looked at the lyrics in front of me, there'd be a little bit more to it like his stuff always has, which to me just absolutely takes it over the top, you know. You know what I mean? You've got the fun thing, but you've also got the deeper thing if you want to get into it. And just about everything he did was actually sort of deep. Um, but Sugar High, you know, hits you immediately in a sort of shallow, fun kind of way. But even there, Sugar High is, is seen as kind of a negative in a way, right? It's like it's not going to last, you know. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I love that dynamic that he's always got, um, with either the words or the sounds. But sonically, Sugar High is just sort of all fun from beginning to end. Definitely. 
Uh, friends, we're talking with uh, legendary record producer and frontman of Let's Active Mitch Easter here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka, all things Stephen Duffy and his 1995 uh, record, uh, appropriately called Duffy on Indolent Records. Um, Mitch, are there any additional tracks that you'd like to discuss in some greater detail? Uh, well, let's think. Um, you know, gosh, there, well, there's just so many good songs. Yeah. I think Starfit is one that came out of a conversation. And I'm pretty sure I'm the person that said Starfit, and he thought, there's a song, you know. And and um, and so he wrote this song. I think it's like one of the newer things on there. And it's a little bit more of a one of those poke it a type person kind of songs, you know, which is mm-hmm. kind of cool. But I remember hearing yeah. kids on every corner to, today again and thinking that, oh, this one's really good too. Like, because it's sort of like one of these big, you know, who kind of songs, like a later period who song. But it's cool that he wrote one of those, you know. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. really a good one. It, it goes into some surprising changes too. When you think you've got that one nailed down, it goes into another part that I really um, and then I was thinking also one I totally forgot about was Smitten, which is also one of those super vibey kind of things that requires you to sort of slow down and get into it, you know, and I, well, I always appreciate those too. That's a really beautiful song. Definitely. Um, yeah. I, I mean, they're all good, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Let's backtrack just a second uh, to Starfit here. Um, there's there's a really interesting lyric that since you've been recognized, your modesty's your modesty's been paralyzed. You're looking through Garbo's eyes. I wonder if that's a reference to the divine uh, Greta Garbo uh, silent film star from the late 20s, early 30s. I thought that was kind of a cool reference, if that's where, where he was going. Oh, I'm sure he's referring to her, you know, that that type yeah. of star, you know. And, yeah. that, and that, that sort of notion we have of the sort of just bizarre, random, sort of royal-type demands a person can make, you know. And they sort of forget that they're really just sort of in show business, but they are not not to put down show business, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think he is thinking about that. Yeah. And the fact that we see this kind of behavior around us, you know, we all know people in bands that have gotten a little impressively pleased with themselves or full of themselves, you know. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there are a few out there, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Smitten's just a really, it's a really pensive track to close this entire album. And, you know, I, I kind of love this little dichotomy, too, in the lyrics of, uh, it, it's, it's very simple, but it's very kind of, like, beautiful and biting. I've been, I'm smitten. I've been bitten by you, yeah. you know? <laughs> exactly. Usually when you, usually when you think of smitten, you're just over the moon for somebody, but not not exactly the case here. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of a sort of vampire reference there, right? It's like, well, yeah. and you've got me now, so... Oh well, here I am. <laughs> <You know>? Right. <laughs> we're, we're chatting with Mitch Easter here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka about Stephen Duffy's 1995 record called Duffy. Um, Mitch, I think I'd like to close our conversation a little bit with just a you know a, a discussion about cover art. So um, we both know you know the, the 21st century is kind of like everything goes anymore when it comes to releasing music. Much is digital, but much of it still, you know, and, and luckily is, you know, is released on vinyl, cassette, you know, compact disc, whatever. Um, the one thing that's ever present, no matter how you release music, is some sort of piece of cover art, whether it's, a, you know, an actual painting or a photograph. Um, when you look at this front cover, are there any specific um, images that are conjured up in your mind when you take a look at this piece of work? Well, I like it. It's a good cover, you know. And uh, that's that's definitely how he looked. You know, that's his vibe. It comes across in that picture, you know. But I also 
think the orange, you know, is mm-hmm. from Low, and I think the jacket is from Heroes. You know, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> but, but you know, I'm not sure about. I don't remember now. But I mean, he he would have done that kind of thing and thought it was funny. You know, that's clever. Because yeah. we, I mean, I mean, we we just bowed out on that. You know, knowing that it was nonsense, and we weren't trying to copy him or anything like that. We just felt like thinking about David Bowie, so we did. You know, and I just get that when I hear, see it now because. I'm not sure about that, but that's what I think. But beyond that, I don't really know. I think, you know, the, the sort of pastoral picture behind him is great um, mm-hmm. because it's sort of a – it's offset against that sort of rough stencil font, you know. Um, so there's a lot of juxtaposition, you know, and I'm not sure if, if it was more than just supposed to look like these things and just look good. Um but that's what I think of. I think it's a good cover, and I think he's probably having a little bit of a joke there with the colors. Mitch, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you so much for taking some time to chat with me today about Stephen Duffy's 1995 solo album. Duffy, it's it's an absolute gem, and I hope that listeners of the show go out and snag their own copy. So thank you so much for being here. This has been great. It's been a pleasure for me, and it's, of course, thank you for making me think about this record again because I'm really enjoying listening to it. And, you know, for me, things I've worked on that are this old, it's it's almost like completely new again, so it's fantastic, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and and you reminded me of what a good record it is. And I, I hope that your podcast will lead to this again reissued or something because this, this is a record people ought to have. Yeah, Mitch, thank you so much. My pleasure. All right, thanks so much to all of you for taking some time to stop by the program today. For all of you listeners out there, thank you very much, and please remember to hit that subscribe button on that device in which you listen to your favorite podcasts, whether that's on Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, or maybe even Amazon. Take a moment to tell a friend or tell some of your family members about our show. Let us know how much you like the show by giving us a good rating. That will certainly help us appear higher in search results. And feel free to drop us a line at hello at covertocoverconversations.com. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Jarrett Nicolay at Mixtape Studios in Northern Virginia. We hope you discovered some new music, perhaps rekindled your love for an old forgotten song, and shared a good moment with us as we continue to sonically explore a world from cover to cover.